this morning. Thanks for being here. We are honored that you would come. For those of you that are visiting, thank you so much for coming and being a part of our church. We're studying through the book of Acts. Most of us here know that. And uh, I said last week I misspoke. I want to just ask your forgiveness right from the beginning. I said we're going to go through the whole chapter. How foolhardy of me. Some of you told me afterwards, that's, you know, that, that's not going to happen. Well, they were right. I, I, I didn't even... I just misspoke, and I just ask your forgiveness. I should never have done that. I'll try not to do that again. We are in a great, 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 great place in Scripture. I often wondered about this particular chapter, though. This chapter basically um, is giving from Stephen the history of Israel. And I thought, you know, that's pretty much laid out. The Old Testament, we can study and understand all of that. But there's a reason he's doing it. And it, it just drove the whole idea home for us as a, a, a body of believers. Um, it just drove the whole idea home of why we are to be witness for Jesus Christ. You know, this is a, a perfect place for it in Scripture, a perfect place for us to be to understand what is being taught today out of the seventh chapter. Fred made, Pastor Fred made mention to you, this next uh, Saturday and Sunday is going to be what we're going to call our opening house. Uh, I know, it's a little bit, we've already been in here and uh, all of that. But we just thought that we would have a time where we would invite the community. And let me tell you how this all came about. Over and over again, we're hearing from people that uh, they didn't know that I was in ministry anymore. They thought just I uh, went away. And uh, they didn't know we were in a church here, didn't know anything about what we were doing and uh, had wondered about us. Uh, often we heard this. When I was in committee, someone would see me and say, Hi, what are you doing now? And I said, Well, we have a church. Where? You have a church? We didn't know that. And so uh, we thought that we would let people know at least that we're alive and well and things are going well here and that uh, they're welcome to come. And, and so what we are going to do today is we would love to encourage you, if you so desire, to take some of the flyers with you and pass them on to relatives, uh, friends, people you work with, those of you younger here, uh, to your classmates, to people in your school that you think might want to come to church or you think ought to uh, be a part of our church and come to visit with us. And so we're going to ask you at the end of the service to take some flyers home with you and pass them out. Now that fits just hand in glove of what is going on in the life of Stephen. We made mention to you that Stephen is a very unique figure within the Word of God. Stephen was one of the seven men chosen to help the church through a problem. The problem was, as we studied, the Hellenistic Jews felt like their widows were not being treated as kindly as the the other Jewish women were being treated. So they brought the complaint to the apostles. The apostles said, we don't have time for this. We, Our purpose is to study the word of God and to prayer. So here's what you ought to do, the apostles said. Choose from among yourself seven men of good reputation. Seven men who are filled with the spirit of God, filled with wisdom and all of that. Have them take over this problem to solve it. They said the congregation, the Bible says the congregation was fine with that. So they chose seven men. 
Out of those seven men bubbled up a man named Stephen, who we now have got to know. Stephen makes a great impact on the Word of God. Stephen is a bridge, as I said to you last week, between Peter, Peter starting the church, Peter's going to fade away, Stephen comes on the scene, and after Stephen comes a man that is tremendously impacted, I believe, by Stephen's testimony, and that is Saul. As we're going to see at the end of chapter 7, Saul was one of the council that was enraged with Stephen. And he stood there holding the people's coats as they were stoning Stephen. He personally saw Stephen praise God in the midst of this terrible thing that was happening to him. He personally heard Stephen say, Father, forgive them for what they are doing. And so this impacted the life of Saul. So Stephen is a bridge between Peter and Saul, Saul who later becomes Paul. But what takes place here in the seventh chapter has everything to do with who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with our desire, our ability to share our faith with people we come in contact with. I believe that's the sole purpose for this particular chapter. Um, read with me. Uh, we're going to backtrack because we're just going to look at Stephen for a moment. Read with me back in chapter 6. In chapter 6, it said in verse... We did this last week, I know. We're going to do it one more time. In verse 3 of chapter 6, it says, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom... And then it says in verse 5, the congregation approved that, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then in, in verse 8, it says, Stephen, being full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. That is, in essence, what got him in trouble, performing the great signs and wonders amongst the people. Because then... A group of people came to him and started to argue, disagree with him about his faith. And they couldn't, they couldn't win the debate with Stephen. Stephen was much smarter than them, but basically, as we said last week, Stephen was getting his information from God. And God was handling all of his deals. And so, let me, just, uh, let me try and just say this as succinctly as I can. With all of that, they became angry with Stephen. And they put him in a mock trial. This trial had no way that it could end good. Because they brought in false witnesses to lie against Stephen and what he said. They accused him of basically four things, which was tantamount to being the worst accusations that could come upon someone in Israel in those days. They said he blasphemed God, he blasphemed Moses, he spoke against the temple, and he spoke against the law. And so with these accusations, these things being said of Stephen, turn with me now to chapter 7 and look at verse 1. In verse 1, the high priest looked at Stephen and asked him, Are these things so? In other words, what has been 
has been uh, the accusations that have come against you, that you've blasphemed God, that you have blasphemed Moses, that you have spoken against the temple and against the law that has been given to us by the prophets, are these things so? And what we're going to find out is that Stephen does not try to defend himself, but he gives them the history of how this all came about. And, and I thought to myself, why? And I learned in a commentary that, that, that the most important thing to a, a religious Jewish person in those days was their traditions, their history. And so Stephen used their history to gather their attention so that they would listen to what he was saying. And in his statement, he did not back down one iota. I want you to know that Stephen knew that he was in a very difficult, difficult situation, if not life-threatening, by the way they brought him before the council. If you remember, if you look at chapter 6 again, and if you look at verse 12, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, him being Stephen, and they dragged him away. The words dragged him away are very strong words in the Greek. It means to violently take him by force, violently drag him away, and they brought him before the council. And so Stephen knew that he was in a difficult situation to say the least. And what does he do? He did just as Peter did. He did not compromise what he believed in. He did not compromise in the truth so that they would hear the truth. And here's why. Last week we studied. And last week we saw that it said, the Lord says, my word, the word that comes from my mouth, in other words, the things out of this, the word of God, my word, he says, will not return void. He says, I will accomplish what I set out to do. And what that means, folks, is that the word of God moves in, in church, in a congregation. It moves amongst us, and God will do something in each individual heart, what he needs to accomplish in your life today. That's why it always amazes me when people come up afterwards and say, uh, somebody told you about what I was going through, didn't they? You, you knew. You just nailed me, didn't you? And I will tell them with all sincerity, as I will tell you right now, I've never, ever, ever, never preached a message that pointed towards any one person. Ever, never. My audience always has been and always will be none other than my, my Savior and my God. I preach to him, hoping and praying that he is well pleased with what I've studied and how, I've, how I present his message. And that's my only audience, to be honest with you. And then he will do his work in and through your life. And so, all of that is said, and I don't know why I went off to that rabbit trail. Um, Peter... No, what I was saying was Stephen, and I do this all the time. I mix up Peter, Stephen, and Saul. Stephen did not compromise. He knew, he knew, folks, that he was in deep waters there. And yet, like Peter, and that's what I think I was saying at the time when I went off on that little rabbit trail. Look what he says at the end of chapter 7. It says, 
falling on his knees. Verse 60, excuse me. Chapter 7 of Acts, verse 60. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, the Bible says, he fell asleep. Just like Jesus Christ, he says, forgive them for what they are doing. And then it says he fell asleep. And it's amazing to me, over and over again in the Word of God, how God talks of death in a much different way than, than some of us do. He calls it sleep. In the book of Psalms, he says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. It says in the book of Revelation that he says, Blessed, blessed are those who die in the Lord. And so the Lord calls this a sleep. Last night, uh, when we were doing the service, um, Carla Allward was here. Carla, her husband, Jeff, um, you know, just had a, a real hand in, in, in helping uh, doing things around the church ever since we started. He kind of helped move things in and out of the trucks. He, he, he just helped. And he, he got real sick. And he now is, is uh, just hanging on. They've taken him off of life support. He's going to die real soon. And I went and visited, them, visited him at his house and uh, talked to him a little bit. It was really sweet, you know. Uh, he heard my voice and his, his eyes opened up. They said he hadn't done that. And his eyes opened up and, and I said, okay. I said, you were resting. I says, no, I'm not going to preach, so I don't want you to fall back to sleep. And he looked and he kind of just vaguely, I think I saw a smile, and he said, preach. That's the only word he said, preach. And asked him how he was doing, and he, he was able to say okay, and a couple of things. But when Carla was here, she was sitting right about where you folks are last night, and his wife. And I said, Carla, I said, soon, Jeff will go to sleep. He'll go to sleep. The Lord will wake him up, and he'll be in his presence. That's the truth of it. But Stephen said these words, don't hold this against them. But what got them so angry was his, was his sharing the gospel without compromise, just as Peter did. Look back now in chapter 7 and look at verse 51. We'll mention this a couple of times. And verse 52. Stephen said to his witnesses, to those who were listening to him, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart, your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, he asked them. And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, talking about the Savior, the Messiah, whose betrayers and whose murderers you have now become. And in hearing that, they, they were cut to the quick, it says in verse 54. And they began gnashing their teeth. Stephen knew what was going to take place in his life. What I want to drive home into your heart, my heart, our hearts, is not to compromise our walk with Christ. You know, it just came to me a little bit. I, I was just thinking um, about the young people who are here. We wanted you to know something as adults. We know how difficult sometimes it is for you amongst your peers. We understand. We went through it. That pressure is monumental. We understand. And I want to thank you 
the young people here in our church who make a stance for Christ in your schools, in your neighborhoods, with your friends. It's not easy. We understand that. And we lift you up in prayer. We love you very much. Now, let's pray. And let's see what the Lord would say to our hearts about this particular place of Scripture. I want you to know, going in, it's all about sharing our testimonies. Father, please, would you open our hearts and our eyes and our minds so that we might behold the most wonderful of things in this world, and that is the glory of your word. Would you teach us, dear Father? And as you promised, would you take your word, allow it to go to each of our hearts, and Father, that you would minister to us as you so desire, accomplishing what you sent your word to do within our hearts this day. Father, I pray that you would move me aside so that we would not be uh, interfered with by thinking of a speaker, but rather we would, we would hear what you were saying individually to each of us, that we might not be able to be confused by who is speaking, but rather that we are hearing from your heart to our hearts. I pray that you would do this, Father, with all of my heart, I pray it. I pray you'll bless us today. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. As I've already said, Peter was taken, I do this all the time, Stephen was taken by force before the Jewish authorities. They asked him, are these things so? And as what we're going to see in the weeks to come, he spoke very little about himself. He tried not too much to defend himself as he tried to he allowed them to see the predicament that they were in by missing the Messiah. He said, your forefathers, those who came before you, they missed God's promises. He said they had a tendency to persecute God's prophet. And what he is saying is you, you who are stiff-necked, in verse 51, you who are uncircumcised in your hearts, your ears resisting the Holy Spirit, you're doing just as your fathers did. I mean, that's a bold statement, he said. And then saying that, he then accuses them, just as Peter did, by murdering the Messiah, murdering the righteous one. Their response to Stephen was typical. It was typical of what always happened. Instead of listening to the response and reasoning in their hearts, is this so or is this not so, they did to Stephen what they did to every prophet who ever walked the line towards them. And they dealt with him in violence over and over again. Their, their motive was violence when people disagreed with them. And so Stephen's blunt and very pointed sermon, if you would, or testimony, sent the Jewish leadership into a rage. And as we said before, he became the church's first martyr. And Stephen died, as we just read, just as our Lord did. Now, our Lord was nailed to a cross. Stephen, on the other hand, is being stoned to death. But both of them looked upon those who were killing them and said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they don't realize what they are doing. Now, why is this place in Scripture important to us as a bunch of believers? Why is it important that we understand chapter 7 in the book of Acts? I believe it's most likely because God wants each of us to be able to defend our faith 
much like Stephen does. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is to turn to different places in Scripture today. Critical that we read out of Titus and 1 Peter and Ephesians and Philippians. Romans, I'm going to kind of brush over that one. Um, You might might not have to turn there. But let's turn right now to Titus chapter 1. Now, I want you to realize, and I'm sure you will, the moment you find Titus chapter 1, verses 7 to 11, this was written to the elders of the church. But who among us ought not desire to strive to have the character traits of a godly person? Men and women alike. In Titus chapter 1, verse 7, it says the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. That's that's for every single one of us. Then it says in verse 7, a few things that he should not be. She should not be. They should not be. They should not be self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. But it says, on the other hand, in verse 8, we ought to be hospitable. We ought to love what is good. We ought to be sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Now, I read those two verses so that we could get to verse 9. Verse 9 is critical for you and me to know as believers, as, as people within the body of Christ. We ought to take very seriously verse 9. Watch it now. It says, we are to hold fast to the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that they, they meaning we, so that we will be able to both exhort, to exhort means to encourage, in sound doctrine, we are to encourage in sound doctrine and we are to refute. Refute means to disprove those who contradict. Contradict what? Contradict the teachings of the Word of God. And so, you and I, as believers in the body of Christ, are to hold fast to the Word of God, which is according to the teaching. The teaching means the teaching of the apostles that's been handed down to us in the church, so that we would be able to encourage those in sound doctrine and and also disprove those who are discrediting the Word of God. It says in verse 10, here's why. Because, it says, there are many rebellious people, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be, look at verse 11, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. They're teaching things that they should not teach. Folks, if you and I cannot defend the faith, then who will? And there are families that are being misled, being upset, as Scripture says. Learning untruths about the Word of God and being led astray and and being taken down that road that the Bible says goes to a place called hell, an eternal damnation. And we ought to be opposed to that. We ought to be a group of people who long to see others come to Christ so they can escape that damnation that is called hell and receive what is the greatest gift they'll ever receive, and that is eternal life in heaven. And so that's our responsibility. Peter, look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. I 
I don't think there's a question. It doesn't say so, but I don't think that there's a question that Peter was there watching all of this take place with his friend Stephen. And I don't think that there's a question that Peter died a little bit when he saw his friend get stoned to death. I don't know how in the world he handled it, but there he was watching all of this. Later in his life, Peter penned these words in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Okay, sanctify means set him apart. Set him apart as Lord within your lives. In other words, he is to be your Lord and your master. He is to be your Savior. Set him apart. Here's why. Watch this now. Being always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Peter says we are to always be ready to make a defense for anyone who might ask us to give an account of the hope that is within us. Sadly, many Christians today are unable to do just that because many Christians today have little or no understanding of why or what they believe. Most believers in churches today lack a solid foundation of their faith and therefore become easily confused, as it says in Ephesians 4.14. If you can find that fast, you may turn there, please, but let me read it to you while you're looking. Most believers lack a solid foundation and in so doing become easily confused. It says Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.14, we become tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness and, de and deceitful scheming. What Paul is saying is that that because we don't understand, because we don't know the Word of God, we become confused, we become tossed here and there by every wave of doctrine that comes down the pike. And we don't know what to believe. And what we want to do here at the Rock Community Church is to settle that issue within all of our lives, to give us a foundation so that we understand what it is we believe and know why we believe it. You know, one of, the, one of the real privileges that I've had over the last years of being here with you guys is some of the young people in our church. Young people who have sat in the services, like I see some here right now, and then they go off to college, and I cannot tell you, I mean a great number, come back to me and say, do you know anyone that has a church near the school I'm going to? I went... A young, a young, young lady came just a few weeks ago and says, I, I, "It's in Idaho." She goes in Idaho. I said, "I don't know anything in Idaho." And she said, I go to a church there, and, and and the pastor doesn't even ask us to open our Bibles. The people don't even bring their Bibles, and it's an evangelical church. And she says, "So we decided to gather a group of us together, and we're going to meet on Sunday." We're going to take your tapes or, or, you know, the messages, and we're going to study through the Bible with you. I had another young lady came came to me last week. She says, do you know any church up in the Pepperdine area? Pepperdine? Yeah, up in Malibu area. 
And I says, girl, I don't. She says, I went to church last week. The pastor didn't even ask us to open our Bibles. Our young people are catching it. I had a young guy come to me and say, you know, I, I don't have a church in the area I'm at now. Do you know of a church? They're not opening their Bibles. Folks, we're in, we're in dire need of churches that are teaching our people, all of us, the understandings of the Word of God so that we can not be fooled by the trickery of man. That when people come and say, you know, you don't need just Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you need Jesus Christ and maybe some of our sacraments, or you need Jesus and, and this or that. And, and we need to know what we believe. We need to know that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and He alone. There is nothing more and nothing less than you need than Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And that gives you salvation. And then from that point on, starts a growth process in your life. Starts a process in your life where you start to understand and grow and know the knowledge and the wonders of our Lord. And so most believers lack a solid foundation of faith and become tossed and turned, tormented by doubts and, 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 and ignorant of our faith. And, and, and we become, if, if a witness at all, we become an ineffective witness for our Lord. And so our purpose is that will not happen to us here at the Rock. But here's the deal. I don't want you to be discouraged. To get this kind of knowledge to be an effective witness, to, to understand what you believe, does not happen overnight. It takes time, studying, and getting to know the Word of God. I've always kind of used this as an example. Uh, your faith, our faith, everyone's faith in the Lord is like this giant puzzle. My family, every once in a while, would do puzzles. We'd have this big dining room table, and my dad would buy a big, I mean like a big grown-up puzzle. Even us kids have got a chance to participate. And, and we would dump the puzzle out, you know, and the first job was what? Turn all the pieces over so that you can see the, yeah, you know, just turn them over. And I love doing that, turning them all over. And then I would always hide one. I'd always hide one. And my dad knew I did it. I'd always hide it, so I got to put in the last piece. And, it, and I'd always, I always couldn't wait, you know, until we got near the end. So they would, and my dad would say, oh my, where's the last? We didn't have a piece. I'd, ah, you got it. Anyways, you know, you'd have these, this puzzle here out there that's in the table, and, and, and it doesn't resemble anything. It, it doesn't look like anything. And when we come to Christ, that's basically how we come to Christ. We're like a puzzle that, that none of the pieces are, are really together. And then all of a sudden, you look, normally what we did anyways, you find the edges, right? You do the edges, I guess, that's the way we did it. And you find the edges because you can find a straight piece. And, and sooner or later, you find a piece that fits with the other piece. And then another one. And before you know it, you build the border around it. And then you start finding other pieces. And then before you know it, there's more pieces inside the puzzle than there are loose ones outside. And the puzzle starts to take form. That's the way it is in our walk with Christ. Right now, if you've come to Christ, you're like a, a puzzle that, that most of the pieces are outside. But don't give up. Start searching for one piece to fit another. It happens like that. One piece after another. A young man came up to me after the first service and he says, you know, he said, that was a great example, that puzzle. He says, and tell the people this. 
he, you never need any more pieces than what are in the, in the box. Every piece is there that is needed. And he says, within this, everything that is needed is in here, in our lives. I thought that was pretty good. Told him I'd tell you that. And so don't be discouraged. In fact, what I want you to look at is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. One of my heroes in all of Scripture is none other than Paul. I've told you this many times. Cannot wait to see what he looks like and just observe him. And he's my hero for a, a number of reasons. Uh, number one, he came from a very seedy past. His past wasn't, wasn't perfect. Although he says in his own testimony, according to the law, he says, I was found blameless. As far as he knew, as far as the law was concerned, he was blameless. But he corrects that view here in Philippians chapter 3. Because he realized once he understood the scriptures and he understood the Lord that he was not blameless before God. He was, like every other person was on this earth, a sinner who needed to be saved by the grace of God. And so, Paul says these words. Listen, Philippians chapter 3. He says in verse 7, Whatever things were gained to me. He's talking about his religious past. These things were gained to him. He was, as I said, according to the law, he, cre he credited himself as being blameless. But he says, Whatever things that I thought were gained to me, those things, he says in verse 7, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, he says in verse 8, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Now, that knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord there, knowing the Lord, is talking about salvation. That's the knowledge of having him in one's heart. That's the belief in Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord is salvation. For whom, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That means dung. So that I might gain Christ. And, he says in verse 9, I may be found in him, watch, not having a righteousness of my own. That's what he had before. He had a righteousness that he thought he earned on his own by being blameless by the law. He says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's how you and I come to know the Lord. Faith, 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 and faith. Nothing more, nothing less. No other way. Faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to salvation. Your belief and your trust in who is Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says another no. Watch, look at verse 10. That I might know him. Now, this no is not no salvation. This no is growth. This no is maturing. 
that I might mature in him. Here's how he says he'll mature. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. In order, verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now here's why I love Paul. And here's why you and I ought to love Paul. You see, Paul, if he were here, would be the most brilliant person here, in my opinion. We would all have to take backstage to him, in my opinion. In my opinion, he would not want that. But he would deserve it, in my opinion. And here's what I love about Paul. Paul never thought that he had it all. That, by the way, is one of the great reasons why I love Dr. J. Vernon McGee so much. I've heard Dr. J. Vernon McGee say that the more he understood the Bible, the more he realized he was a sinner, and the more stupid he realized he was. There was so much to learn, he would say. Listen to Paul's words in verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, not that I have already obtained it. In other words, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about maturity, growth. Not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect. I press on. If you underline your Bible at all, I don't know about you, but I've got that underlined in my Bible. I press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, he says in verse 13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I'm going to do, he says, I'm going to forget what lies behind and I'm going to reach forward to what lies ahead. I'm going to, he says in verse 14, press on, press on, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what we want here at the Rock Community Church? We want people who are willing to press on. We want people who want to reach forward to what lies ahead of us. We want people who might know exactly in whom we believe and are able to make a defense of our salvation so that we will not be tossed and turned by every wave of doctrine. And folks, you and I will never be able to be that type of person until we understand this. That's why the church was made, given orders, I might say, by God himself. Jesus gave the apostles, teach the word of God. That's why the apostles said to the first church, we want a group of people who are continually devoted to the teaching of the word of God, to fellowship with one another, to communion and to prayer. Come devoted to these things. You'll never be the man or the woman or the young boy or the young girl of God that you are to be without knowing in whom you believe. And you'll never know that until you seriously start to study the word of God. And so I asked the question to you. I wrote it in my notes. Are you in for that journey with us? If so, we are willing to help. But knowledge, growth will take time. It's like that puzzle. Most of the pieces for you maybe are on the outside. We'll help you find them. We'll help you put the pieces in if you want us to. But it takes time. It takes sweat. 
It takes tears of joy. It takes a commitment in your life, in my life, a faith and a trust in Christ that only comes through a study, a diligent study of the Word of God. It's the only way. There is no other way for you and me to grow in our faith to where we become like Stephen so that we are ready, always ready, always willing to make a defense of the gospel, the hope that lies within us. And so as, as chapter 7 opens, and, and, and I told you I was going to do the whole chapter. I mean, we got to the first, well, I did the first verse. That's not bad. Stephen's trial begins, and it's a mock trial. They accused him of four things, which I already said to you, and we'll study them in the week to come. They accused him of blaspheming God, which he will refute. They accused him of blaspheming Moses, which he will refute. They accused him of, of, of coming against the law given down by the prophets, which he will say, I didn't, you did. And they accused him of being against the temple. These were the most serious charges you could make against a Jewish person in those days. And so when Stephen spoke to them, as we're going to see in chapter 7, of their history, that was his hook. That was his drawing them in so that they would listen. Because a Jew is so proud of their heritage, so proud of their traditions, their ancestry. Did I say that right? Yeah, their ancestors. What I was going to say is, I was going to, you didn't have to turn to, was in Romans 2.17. Paul says, if you bear the name Jew, if you bear the name Jew, he says, you can boast in God. You know, you, because he is the one who drew us out. He drew us out as a nation. We are, the, the, we love and know the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. And so when Stephen talked to them of their ancestry, when he talked about their heritage, he, he had them. He had them right there in the midst. And, and so what he did was tell them, let's not be like our forefathers. Our forefathers missed the blessings of God in the wilderness, he's going to tell them. They, they made a, a golden calf. And he says, let us not be like our forefathers who, who persecuted and, 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 and killed the prophets. But he said to them, you've done that. Look at verse 52 again. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Which one, he says. Think about it. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, talking about the Messiah. And then, like Peter, he says, those betrayers and murderers, you've now become. Now you're that. In truth, Stephen made it crystal clear. He's not the blasphemer. They are. He turned it around. He turned the tables on them. They were putting him on trial. And through his testimony, he put them on trial. God convicted them. So much so that rather than reason with Stephen, they became angry and said, kill him. Kill him. And that they did. And that they did. And Stephen, in my opinion, knew. He knew. I wonder how many of us, I, I try to put myself in that place. If I knew I was going to be killed, would I, would I, and, and they said, 
Tell us, are these things so? We've heard some bad things about you, John. Are these things so? Would I water it down or would I tell them the truth? Knowing that I could be maybe uh, in deep water. All of us need to come to that understanding of where do we stand? What do we believe in? And so Stephen's purpose was not to recite history. His purpose was to bring them in so that they would listen to what he had to say. And his testimony that he established accused those who were accusing him. Well, this is a great place in Scripture, to say the least. I want to close with this thought in mind. I didn't mean to. I did it last night and seemed to fit, so I'll do it this morning. How many of you here know for certain? I don't need to raise hands. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands. How many of you here this morning know for certain you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you're a believer? I say there's no more important decision you'll ever have to make or in your life. Now, it's, it's simple to know. It's just an act of faith that you've done. In my Bible, I've written down March the 12th, 1973, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I did that on purpose. I wanted to nail the time that I asked Christ into my heart. Carol, I love your smile. You're the most beautiful smile. I wanted to nail within my heart that I knew when I came to Christ. It was important to me. I asked him into my heart. You can know. It's, it's not like it's a big deal. If someone says, are you married? You know if you're married. You, you, you know when you ask your wife or your husband to, to marry you. And when you said, I do, you, you know. I say to you, knowing Christ is in your heart is far more important than even that. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know for certain, it's just faith. We're not going to ask you for your money. We're not going to ask you for anything. Now, the Bible will teach you that the blessings come by doing certain things, and we'll teach you the truth of that, but nobody's going to make you do anything. We just want you to know Christ. That you would start on that journey that Paul started on, saying, I know him as my Lord. I know him. Then we will want you to know him as you mature. And so if you've never asked Christ in your heart, and you don't know what to say, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now. You don't even have to bow your head. And if I say close your eyes, you don't even have to close your eyes. There's no way to sit. There's no way to stand. There's no way to... Posture yourself so that you're right before God. It's all in here. It's all your desire. What I would like to ask is for those of us in this room that know the Lord, that you would pray to ask that, that to, to bind Satan from trying to get into this person's heart so that this person will put this off for another week, saying, I need more information, or I, I don't know if I should do this right now, I don't know if I'm ready right now. And, and, and Satan's throwing all sorts of curves in that person's direction. I would love for you who know the Lord to when I ask you to bow your heads and pray that you would bind him in the hearts of these dear people who need to make a decision. Would you pray with me right now? You don't have to bow your heads unless you want to. You don't have to close your eyes unless you want to. 
Let's pray. Father, for those that are not certain whether they know you or not, today, September the 10th, 2006, at 11.30 in the morning, I now ask you into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Make me the type of person you created me to be. For those of us who know you, Lord, may we grow. May we be committed, Father, to be like Stephen, if need be, to give testimony, to be able to give uh, a defense of our faith, not for our benefit, but, Father, by the grace of your hand, that we would be able to see people come to Christ. As my dear friend Kenny Hutchison says, that we would depopulate hell and populate heaven by bringing people into your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray your blessings upon this time. For those that accepted you this day, would you, Father, bless them? For the rest of us, Father, would you allow us to be a witness in this community? To take flyers if need be, Father, and pass them out to friends and loved ones and invite them to church with us next week so that they might hear the gospel. We thank you for your kindness, Father. Thank you for the music we had today. Thank you for the time that we have together. It's precious, Lord. It's precious. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Before you leave, um, oh, before you leave, um, if you accepted Christ, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now. I would ask you this. If you know someone here in the congregation, you know someone in this church, Tell them what you did. Here's why. We want to help you grow. You, you, Christianity was never meant to be an island. It was meant to be a group. It was meant to be functioning with one another. And so if you've accepted Christ, tell someone. Let them know. So that we might help you uh, put some puzzle pieces in there. Love to help. Love you so much. Have a great day. God bless you. Take care. Bye.